Well, good morning, Foothill Family Church. It is great to see you again online this morning. Make sure if you are watching on Facebook, you go ahead and hit share right below the screen here. Even start a watch party. Make sure you comment below. Say hi to people as you see them jump on. Your church family misses you. Your church staff misses you. We are looking forward to being back together very soon. We hope you can enter into worship with us this morning and prepare your hearts for the message. You stood outside my grave With tears still on your face And I heard you say my name And my night was turned to day Cause you came and I knew that you would come. Yeah, you sang. Oh, in my heart it woke up. I'm not afraid. I see your face. I am alive because you came. And I knew that you would come. You said death's only sleeping with one word my heart was beating and I rose up from my grave and my fear was turned to faith cause you came and I knew that you yeah, you say, oh, in my heart it woke up. I'm not afraid, I see your face. I am alive, cause you came. And I knew that you would come. You. Savior, you have brought me near. 
You pulled me from the ashes. You have broken every curse. Blessed Redeemer, you have set this captive free. Lord, I can't help but sing in faith. Amen. We serve a faithful God. Good morning. It's great to see you. Glad that you're here with us worshiping. You know, this last week I was thinking about um, the fact of, oh, you know what? Where's my phone? Up there? Oh, thank you so much. Uh, I was thinking about what an honor and what a privilege we have What an honor and what a privilege we have to walk by faith. You know, it's one thing to talk about trusting God and serving God and, and remaining steadfast and faithful and patient when you're going through a difficult time. It's one thing to talk about it. It's one thing to be in church and, and say amen to the pastor when he's preaching about it. it. That's one thing. And it's another thing to have the privilege, to have the opportunity and the honor, really, to walk out our faith. To be able to, when you're in a difficult situation, when you're in a difficult spot, to continue to trust in the Lord, continue to declare God's promises, to continue to rejoice. You know, the Bible says, rejoice evermore, for this is the will of God in Christ concerning you. So what an honor and what a privilege that we have. Uh, I began to just, when this came to me early one morning this past week, and I just, just began to thank God, Lord, thank you that I can't have this opportunity 
opportunity to stand. Thank you that I have this opportunity to stay steady. Thank you that I have this opportunity to pray for others and stand in faith. So let us rejoice in those things because we know that God will see us through. I uh, wanted to read you this one scripture. Uh, it is in uh, Mark Hold on, Mark, uh, John, excuse me, John 16, verse 33, and it's in the Amplified Translation. And um, one day this last week, I was frustrated about some things, of course, that sometimes you might read in the news and all, and I was just being frustrated. And the Holy Spirit witnessed in my heart, don't, don't let yourself get frustrated. Well, we know not to worry, and we know not to fear. I mean, we, we know to not get in unbelief, but, you know, frustration, we kind of let ourselves, or at least I let myself go there at times. And the Holy Spirit quickened that to my heart. Well, <clears throat> I thought, that's right. I shouldn't let myself get frustrated. The next day, I came across this scripture in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have perfect peace and confidence. In the world, you shall have tribulation and trials and distress and found frustration. But be of good cheer, take courage, be confident, certain, undaunted, for I have overcome the world. I have deprived it of power to harm you, and I have conquered it for you. Amen. So because Jesus has done that for us, we don't need to be in fear. We can be in peace, and we don't even have to let ourselves go to frustration because we know that God is working in it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, we want to encourage you, as Pastor Chip said early on, if, if you weren't here, to share um, the stream in this today's service or perhaps even start a watch party with your friends. And um, so if you can just go to the bottom of your screen and do that, that would be great. Um, we do want to let you know um, one thing uh, this week is um, we have been doing Zoom groups um, and um, the youth and the young adults have been already been doing them um, for several weeks. I think for Pretty much from the start, they've been doing them. Um, and so for um, those of you who don't know what a Zoom group is, um, you can um, access a, a private group and watch it on your iPad or your computer. Or even you can watch it if you have a smartphone on your smartphone, although it'd be kind of small. But um, what you do is everybody who is invited to that particular group, you can see on your screen. You can see everybody's face who is there. And and um, it's a, you know, you can have um, a, a fellowship, you can talk, or you can also, uh, you know, they have, they do this with the youth and with the young adults, as well as the children. Um, they've been doing this with the children. Um, we've been doing it with some of the, um, the mothers of children of different groups. And um, they've had just different uh, teaching or encouragement messages, just all kind of different things. So we are... Um, uh, having one today, uh, we started some women's Zoom groups up now beginning this week. Um, uh, as I said, they've been doing them for the mothers. They're going to have one for the mothers today, uh, which I'm going to mention. It's going to be at 1 o'clock. And um, two of the teachers um, from our uh, church are going to be hosting it because, um, you know, it's challenging if you're not used to schooling your children at home. Um, then uh, you you just need a little bit of help and encouragement and some pointers. So they're going to be doing that today, a couple of the teachers. So how, if you want to sign up for that particular group or any of the women's Zoom groups that are coming up, you can go to the website. It's there at the bottom of your screen. Go to the website. And then under foothillfamily.com, you're going to go to the calendar page and then to the event section. And there you're going to find... Uh, the Zoom groups that we have thus far, a few of them, not all, but the women's ones are there. And um, then you're going to register. And when you register, you're going to give them your email. And then an, a link is going to be sent to your email address. And then what you'll do when you get that email, you're just going to follow that link. And that will describe how to do it. It's very, even I can do it. Well, my daughter did help me, but I saw that it was easy. Thank you, Katie. She's on that camera right there. Um, so um, 
Uh, but it's very easy. You just follow the link. It will tell you what to do. It's not complicated. So if you want to join that group today or you also want to join any of the women's groups, just go to the website. You need to register. Um, and then uh, even if, if we will uh, add, if there are any people that add on to the Zoom group from today, we will get that information out to you before your group. And um, so, uh, so that will be, we trust a blessing. If we need to do more Zoom groups, we will. We're just kind of seeing what the need is, and um, we just want to connect people in our church. Praise the Lord. We also, we want to remind you, and, and again, it's at the bottom of your screen. You can text your um, offering or your tithe today, and at the bottom of the screen, it's text to give, and um, you can get that information there. We love you so much, and we miss you. Oh, I forgot to do this. I wanted to do this. Don't you appreciate these guys, Ryan? And, and Chip, I appreciate them. But I haven't got to hug them in weeks. So, I, so, so this is how I'm going to do it. Go like this. Go like this. And I'm, just, I'm giving you a little virtual hug. So in your homes, just go like this. And we're just giving you a virtual hug. <laughs> anyway, we love you. We're going to see you soon. And um, we just keep rejoicing and know that good things are ahead. God bless you. Family, would you join us for one more song? stands behind 
the God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. I know who goes before me. I know who stands behind. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The one who reigns forever, he is a friend of mine. The God of angel armies is always by my side. The God of angel armies is always by my side. Praise you, Father God. Hallelujah. Lord, we magnify your name. We worship you. We exalt the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for all the good things that you've done for us. We thank you for the great things that are taking place now. Even though we may not be able to see them, Yet, we thank you that you're honoring your word and you're keeping your word. You're fulfilling it to its full completion. We love you, Father. We thank you for the presence of the Holy Ghost that's on this service. Even though we're scattered, we're united in spirit. So we thank you, Father, for speaking to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. We appreciate you tuning in and being with us. I'm going to start this morning in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 1. And Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him for to show him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said unto them, See, not, see ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you that there shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. It seems that the disciples were very impressed with Herod's temple, and it's, uh, it's really comical on one, uh, in one sense to realize that they're showing Jesus around the temple. They're making sure that he sees things that they're impressed with, the beauty of the temple, the construction thereof, and whatever it might be. They're very impressed with the, the way that the thing looks. And so they're showing Jesus what Jesus has seen and known and probably is more well acquainted with than they are. But they're showing him around the temple. And Jesus says that the time is coming when the, the temple shall be deconstructed in such a way that there's not one stone left upon another. History tells us that the reason for that is because Herod, trying to make the, the temple as opulent as he could, used gold dust in the mortar between the stones. And so when the Romans came in 70 AD and sacked the temple, they took every stone of, off the, of the one that it was standing upon so that they could get access to the gold dust that was mixed in with the mortar and used for that purpose. Well, the disciples recognize that Jesus is revealing something about the future. We know it happened in 70 AD, so this would have been, what, some 37 years after Jesus said these things to the disciples. And so they questioned him. They said, when shall these things be? When is the, the temple going to be destroyed? And what shall be the sign of thy coming? And of the end of the world. Notice those are two different events. The sign of his coming. We know of that as the rapture. And the end of the world. Is when Jesus comes back with us. With all of his heavenly power and glory. And so Jesus answered and said unto them. Take heed that no man deceive you. 
You know, I used to read over that verse of Scripture and think that he's just introducing the important stuff, the different um, events, wars and rumors of wars and famines and earthquakes and so forth. I thought that that was just the introduction to the important things that Jesus was going to tell them. But I've come to realize that the most important thing Jesus said about the last days was deception. Take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying I am Christ and shall deceive many. This verse of scripture used to give me some, some difficulty because I don't think anybody in the church, anybody that knows God to any degree whatsoever, would be fooled by somebody coming to say that they are the Christ. How many people could that mislead? How many people could that lead astray? But I came to realize that when he says that people will come saying, I am Christ, he's talking about people coming, claiming to be coming in the name of Jesus to identify or to dictate what should be done. You know, we've got a lot of Christians in the body of Christ that are confused about what's going on around them. I noticed here in, uh, in recent weeks that there was a lot of talk about different members of Congress praying for the president and things like that. I've heard, I remember hearing several weeks ago that someone identified President Trump's actions towards some of this coronavirus stuff as being sinful or almost sinful. In other words, it's a political person, political entity saying what should be done based on God, who God is, and so forth. And the fact is they were completely on the opposite side of what God would do, wants us to do, or commands us to do. So there very easily could be a lot of people that come in the last days declaring this is what the way of, to Christ, the way to God would be, and again dictating behavior. But Jesus said, take heed that no man deceive you. Take heed that no man deceive you. I want to read now from John chapter 16, what I believe is the contrast to these things. Jesus, speaking of the Holy Ghost, said, John 16, verse 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come. He's talking about the Holy Ghost, and he's naming the Holy Ghost as the Spirit of truth. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he shall take of mine and show it unto you. Notice one of the outstanding purposes or the reason that the Holy Ghost is given to us is to guide us into the truth. Now Jesus in his prayer unto the Father in John chapter 17 and verse 17 said, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the Holy Ghost is sent to guide us into the word first and foremost. He's sent to guide us into the word. Now I want you to turn with me to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Jesus has had a great time of teaching the, the multitudes. And a lot of people have expressed their belief in him as the Messiah. But in verse 31, John chapter 8 verse 31. Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him. Notice they're believers. If you continue in my word then are you my disciples indeed. Jesus makes a distinction between the believer and the disciple. Well, if there was a distinction between the believer and the disciple in the day that he was speaking these things, it would have to be the same today. We've got a lot of people in the family of God that are believers. You can't be in the family of God without being a believer. But a lot of people stop right there. They believe just enough to get saved. They believe just enough to come into the family of God. But they don't continue on to become disciples. Again, Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Where does the truth come from? Well, again, he said in his prayer, sanctify them through thy word, or through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the word of God is the truth that sets us free. The word of God is, the, is that which we must continue in so that we are set free. Now let's keep reading. Verse 33, John, then they answered him and said, We are Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, you shall be made free? They're thinking naturally. They're thinking in terms of, of freedom, human freedoms, even though they are under Roman rule and oppressed. 
They're claiming to be free rather than accepting what Jesus said. Now think about this. Here's the Jews that have just identified or signified in some way their belief in Jesus. But they won't accept what he has to say. Believers turn off the part that they don't want to hear. But disciples go on and accept whatever the word of God says. You shall know the truth and you shall be made free. They said, we're Abraham's seed. How can you say to us that we'll be made free? Jesus answered them, verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abides not in the house forever, but the son abides forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. That word indeed means in every respect, in every area. If the son therefore make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about the benefit of putting the word first place. He's talking about attending to the word, making the word of God the foundation for your life. I know that you're Abraham's seed, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. I speak that which I have seen with my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. You remember in uh, Genesis chapter 14, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 15, verse 4, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Abraham believed, and that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you were Abraham's children, you'd believe in me. But here they are trying to argue their position with God, even though they believe on Jesus. So Jesus said, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that has told you the truth, which I have heard of God. Abraham didn't do that, did he? You do the deeds of your father. And they said unto him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech, even because you cannot hear my word? You are of your father the devil, and the lusts of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not." The outstanding characteristic that Jesus identifies about the devil is his lies. In other words, his job, his number one work against mankind is through deception. Now, I want you to also see with me from Matthew chapter 4. It tells us about the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, preparing himself for the work that God had for him to do. Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it said, Then was Jesus led of the Spirit into the wilderness. King James says, To be tempted of the devil. That wasn't the purpose for Jesus going to the wilderness. But after he was, had fasted for these 40 days, he was tempted of the devil. But that wasn't God's purpose. God's purpose for him being in the wilderness was to prepare himself for the things that he had to come, uh, things that would come uh, to pass, things that he would do in the next three years of his ministry. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he, would, he was afterward hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But Jesus answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Now let's stop here and consider some things. We know that when Jesus, actually the first encounter he had with somebody that was demon-possessed, the evil spirit that was in that man called out to Jesus. He said, we know who you are, thou son of God. Jesus commanded him to be quiet. But if the demons knew who Jesus was, then Satan would have known who he was here in Matthew 4, wouldn't he? He knew that he was the son of God. So here's the devil tempting Jesus with food, trying to influence him to use his power selfishly for his own benefit. And Jesus goes back to the word. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. In other words, he's saying what food is to the natural body, the word of God is to our spirit man. It's the necessary thing. Now, Jesus didn't stop and say, well, I am the son of God, and I can make these things happen any way that I want to. He instead emphasizes the truth of the word and the truth of putting the word of God first place. 
Then the devil took him up to a holy city, into the holy city, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thy dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, second time he says it this way, it is written. In other words, he's quoting the word of God to the devil. It is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil took him up into an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them and said unto him, all these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Luke's account, I think it's Luke chapter 5, tells us that the devil said a little bit more than what Matthew records. He showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said, I will give these, you these kingdoms and the glory of them if thou wilt worship me, for that has been delivered unto me. So there must have been something about Adam and Eve falling in the Garden of Eden that gave the devil uh, authority or some kind of influence over world kingdoms. And that's the number one way that the devil identifies. Really, it's the only way that the devil identifies that he's at work in the earth, in governments, world governments. So he said unto him, All these things will I give thee if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then said Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Now, folks, I want you to see what's happening in this situation when Jesus is tempted. Jesus is the creator of everything. The Bible says by, by him everything's were, uh, all things were created, and for him all things were created. Well, Satan is a created being. So here's a created being talking to his creator about the things that he, Satan, will give to Jesus, the creator, from his own creation. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous. And the devil is emphasizing the same thing that the evil spirit did when they identified Jesus. He's focusing on the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. He totally missed out on the whole reason that Jesus came to the earth. He totally missed out on the importance of Jesus being the Son of Man, having a human body, flesh and blood body, to operate here in this earth. Because flesh and blood was what was given authority in this earth to begin with. God said, let us make man in our own image after our own likeness and let them have dominion over the works of our hands. He gave Adam and Eve as flesh and bone human beings, spirit beings inside a human body, a fleshly body. He gave man authority over the earth. Well, God's not an Indian giver. He never changes. So if his purpose in the beginning was for man to have authority on the earth, then it's his, still his purpose now for man to have authority on the earth and was still his purpose when Jesus was tempted of the devil for man to have authority on the earth. And Jesus is being offered by the devil his very own creation, the earth that he created, if he'll just fall down and worship Satan. How did Jesus respond? Three times he was tempted. Each time he said, it is written. Now, I want you to look with me to something else here, too. Look with me to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, this is Jesus standing before Pilate just before he was crucified. Verse 33, it says, Then Pilate entered into the judgment hall again and called Jesus and said unto him, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him and said, Sayest this thing of, thy, uh, of thy, thyself, or did others tell it of me? Let me try that one again. Jesus answered him, Sayest thou this thing of thyself, or did others tell it to you of me? And Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Thine own nation and the chief priests have delivered thee unto me. What hast thou done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight, that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered and said, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. Now notice what Jesus said. He said, This is the reason that I came to the earth. For this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. 
that I should bear witness unto the truth. Now, the Bible says, 1 John chapter 3, that for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Well, bearing witness unto the truth must be destroying works of the devil then, because that's what Jesus did. Bearing witness of the truth must include healing for the physical body, because Jesus healed the sick. Bearing witness to the truth must be what Jesus showed that healing was available for everybody. Jesus healed all that were sick, that it might be fulfilled with the prophet Isaiah. Himself bear our infirmities and, and carried, our, carried our infirmities and bear our sicknesses. So healing being for everybody must be bearing witness of the truth. Jesus never turned anybody away that came to him to receive healing. Why? Because he's bearing witness of the truth. That's the character and the nature of God, and it's always the character and the nature of God. Now Pilate shows how the world operates. Verse 38, Pilate said unto him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again unto the Jews and said unto them, I find in him no fault at all. Notice the difference between Jesus uh, speaking of truth, what his attitude toward the truth is, and Pilate's attitude toward the truth. Jesus speaks of truth as being the word of God, the revelation of who God is, his character and his nature. Pilate says tr the truth is relative. Uh, you, we hear a lot of times people talking about things and they'll say, well, that may be your truth, but this is my truth. And the idea that is that it's relative based on the circumstances of the situation you're in. Pilate's identifying that the political situation is what makes truth relative for him. In other words, the truth is what's expedient politically. Jesus' disciples on several occasions even tried to push him into politics. He wanted, they wanted a king, a natural king, not a spiritual king, not a messiah, not a deliverer in that sense. They wanted to be free from Roman rule. So when they saw the, the miracles that Jesus did and ascertained that he was the Christ, they are looking for him to do something politically, to deliver the children of Israel in a political sense or in a national sense. So Pilate's talking about truth relative to politics. But Jesus said the truth was even more important and goes a lot further than that. Thank God that's the case. He came to bear witness of the truth. Now I want you also to be aware of this scripture in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1. He says, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority. We should pray for people that are in authority. Folks, we need to pray for our president now more than ever before. We are being bombarded by the greatest selection and, and procession of lies as a society of anything we've ever experienced. The lies that are being told and fostered and pushed and the panic that people, certain people want you and I to experience is unlike anything that we've ever seen before in the history of mankind. That doesn't mean we've got the worst situation that anybody's uh, ever had. The people that Paul wrote to in the early days of the church they were being persecuted and suffered persecution unlike anything that we've ever known or, or really even heard about in our present day. So they had tougher situations in that context. But the lies and the willingness of the people who are trying to change the world, who are being influenced by the devil and operating against the kingdoms of this earth that do stand for righteousness is unprecedented. It's absolutely unprecedented. It seems that some of the truth is starting to come out now and people are, are realizing the deception and the lies that are being told to us. But we need to pray for our leaders, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Notice verse 4, who, speaking of God, will have all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice the separation he makes between those two things. God would have all men to be saved. Well, that's kind of like the Jews that believed on Jesus in John chapter 8. But then he wants us to go further. He wants us to know, to have knowledge of the truth. Why is that? Because if we continue in his word, we'll know the truth and the truth will make us free. 
Jesus didn't come to the earth to save us from spiritual death so that we could keep living in spiritual death. He didn't come to the earth to redeem us from spiritual death, poverty, and sickness so that we could still experience those things and live like we'd never been set free. And notice it's the word that does the job. It's the word of God, the truth of God, that opens our hearts and prepares us for that which is to come. Look with me in Philippians chapter 4. In verse 6, Paul said, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Paul is inspired by the Holy Ghost to tell us God's will for our lives. And his will for our lives is for us to lead a quiet and peaceable life. God wants us to experience peace on this earth. He wants us to be able to live carefree. No worries. Not fretting about anything. But to know that God's on our side and he'll take care of us. So he said, be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Boy, that sounds good. We all want that, don't we? The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. How do we get that? Well, if you're going to get the results of verse 6 and verse 7, you're going to have to act on verse 8. It says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things that are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. The first thing that he makes mention of is think, to think on is things that are true. Well, the Word of God is truth. So we can always go in the right direction when we keep our minds fixed on the Word of God. Isaiah 26, 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusts in thee. Folks, we don't have anything to, to worry about in these last days. We don't have anything to fret over. We don't have anything to be concerned over or concerned about. It seems to me that the church is praying more now than I've ever known it to pray, in the, in the, in, at least in my lifetime. And I'm certain that that's true. We need to bring our requests to God. We need to trust Him to see us through. We need to recognize that we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. God's not going to leave us alone. He'll never forsake us. He'll never leave us. David said, I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging bread. God will take care of us. God will provide for us. So he tells us in several places, the Holy Ghost impresses Paul particularly on the subject of what things will look like at the end. We know that men will wax worse and worse. We know that the deception that we're seeing and appalled at this taking place right now, that's just the beginning. We need to prepare ourselves for more and more of those types of things because the devil's certainly not going to decrease in his efforts, but rather he's going to increase in the things that he has at his disposal to influence us, which is deception. That's the only thing he's got. So these things are going to continue. These things will probably increase. But God told us what the end was, not just about how bad people will get. He didn't just tell us about certain events and certain and the wars and rumors of wars and famines and pestilences and plagues and that type of thing. He told us something else for us to, to trust in and know and recognize. Haggai chapter 2, verse 6. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Folks, one thing that we can know and one thing we can be absolutely assured of, something that we can have as a guarantee, is that the glory of the Lord shall be seen upon the church in these last days like nothing that's ever been known before. Now, folks, if that's talking about greater glory than what we saw in the book of Acts, 
in the very beginning of the church, then we've got a lot of supernatural and spectacular things to look forward to. We've got a lot of miracles and healings to look forward to. We've been praying this scripture for about, um, I think it's nine years now. I think it was nine years ago that the Lord impressed upon me to start prayer school, have a time of prayer on Sunday evenings, and to pray this prayer, pray these scriptures specifically. He also gave me another couple of scriptures to add to it. But we've been praying these things before any of the things that we're seeing now took place or were even on anybody's radar. Why was he preparing us? Because it's time for the glory of the Lord to be seen. The more the devil does his job, the more that men wax worse and worse, the greater the glory of the Lord shall be seen upon the church. Now notice what he's talking about. Let's take this apart little by little. He says, I will shake all nations. I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. That would include the nations of the earth. And I will shake all nations, and the desire of all nations shall come. This is a reference to what Paul talked about to the Galatians, about the whole earth groaneth and travaileth until the uh, sons of God be revealed. In other words, there's coming a time where the glory of the Lord will cause the church to rise up, and we'll be like Jesus was on the earth. We'll do the works of Jesus in a much greater way than ever before. We'll be known for the miracles that we do in the name of Jesus. The goodness of God shall be known for the great things that he does for people, to deliver them, to, to heal their bodies, and so forth. So he says, the desire of all nations shall come. It's talking about the manifestation of the sons of God, the manifestation of the church operating in the glory of God. And I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord. You can see the, the connection that he makes there. I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord. Now notice verse 8. Verse 8 seems to be completely out of place. Well, it is out of place with the modern church thinking because the modern church thinks of God as being good and righteous and so forth, and he was powerful. He is powerful, but he doesn't use his power in today like he used to. That's what a lot of people think. Bless their hearts. But here where he talks about the silver is mine and the gold is mine, God makes the connection between the silver and the gold in his glory. God makes the connection between the silver and gold, which we would have to expect to be provision and God taking care of his people. Otherwise, what's the purpose for God owning the silver and gold of the earth? What's he going to watch the church starve and say, well, the silver and gold's mine, but it's not going to help you any. That's contrary to the character and the nature of God. So when, Jesus, or when the Holy Ghost through Haggai speaks of the silver is mine and the gold is mine, it's got to be talking about supernatural and even spectacular provision in the last days for the church. Folks, don't worry about finances. God will see you through. We've got a promise for financial support and financial help in the last days more than any other time that we've ever known as a church body or in the history of mankind. He said, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. He makes the connection between the silver and the gold and the glory. He makes the connection. God wants to perform financial miracles. He wants to perform financial miracles for people that need them just as much as he wants to perform healing miracles for people that need them. That's his character and his nature. He doesn't want us bound by anything. Jesus paid the price for poverty so that we not experience poverty. Jesus paid the price for sickness and disease so that we not experience sickness and disease, but rather walk in health. He wants us to walk in prosperity just as much as he wants us to walk in health. And it's all part of the glory of the Lord. And folks, this is what Jesus said would take place in the last days. This is what the Holy Ghost is telling us will be in the last days. The silver is mine and the gold is mine. And then, he's, then here's the, the clincher. He said, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. Now, what house is he talking about? Well, there were three temples in Israel's history. One was the Temple of Solomon, and it had great glory. You remember when the, they opened and dedicated the temple, it tells us that the glory of the Lord filled the house like a cloud or with a cloud so that the priests were not able to stand up and minister. They were overcome by the presence of God and couldn't even stand on their feet. Well, if he's talking about the glory being greater than Solomon's temple, that's pretty good. The other temple, the second temple, 
wasn't anything to look at. The Bible says the people that were old enough to remember the first temple and the dedication of the first temple that Solomon built at the direction of God wept over the second temple because it was nothing in glory and splendor. Well, he can't be talking about that one because he's talking about greater glory. And there was no glory at all hardly on the second temple. Herod's temple was the third one. That's the one that Jesus kind of shook his head at when the disciples were impressed with it, saying that not one stone would be left upon another. Well, if he's not talking about that one, then what else could he be talking about? Well, he could be talking about the temple of God, meaning the church in the early days of the book of Acts, where signs and wonders and miracles were done in the name of the Lord Jesus. So he's either talking about the early days of the church or he's talking about Solomon's temple. Either one, we're talking about great glory. And he said, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, greater than Solomon's temple, where the priest couldn't stand to minister because of the presence of the Holy Ghost in the cloud. Or he's talking about the, the glory of the Lord that was on the miracle-working church in the book of Acts. Whichever one he's talking about, he's talking about great glory, greater glory than of the former house. He's talking about a move of the Holy Ghost, a manifestation of his spirit, his presence, and a display of his power like nothing that the world's ever seen before. Folks, this is our day. This is the day of the glory of the Lord. So he says, The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. The world may be turned upside down. The world may be in turmoil. People may panic and, and fear all around us at the things that they're hearing and the things that they see taking place. But we can remain at peace. We can stay at peace because the truth has made us free. We can stay in the peace of God by thinking on things that are true and just and lovely and good report. Things that have virtue and praise attached to them. And thinking on those things. We can stay at peace by keeping our mind on the Lord. Just like Isaiah 26, 3 says. Folks, this is the day of the glory of God. This is the end time prophecy that we need to be aware of. Yeah, the other things are going to take place. Men are going to get worse and worse. But the worse men get, the greater the glory of God will be seen. The more the earth is in turmoil, whether it's financially or politically or whatever, the more the glory of the Lord will be identified. And the greater the, the panic and the anxiety is in the world, the greater the peace of God will be in its church, in his church. God's got great plans for us, folks. He's got great plans for his people. He has great plans for the body of Christ as we continue to put the word of God first place in our lives and pray according to what the Bible says. Pray for our leaders, certainly, but pray for the glory of God to be seen and known as well as we do these things, as we continue in these things. God's going to show himself in a way like he's never shown himself before. And we'll have an opportunity to participate in that and witness every bit of it. Hallelujah. God is good. I don't know if I've done you any good, but I've preached me happy. I feel like running around the room. Wouldn't make sense. Sure wouldn't have to worry about running into anybody, would I? Folks, God is seeing us through. He'll take care of us. Cast your care over on him. Trust him. He'll be your confidence and keep your foot from being taken. He'll keep you from stumbling. He'll keep you from falling. Take the word of God. Speak the word of God. Confess the word of God. Pray the word of God. And God will see us through. We love you so much. We're looking forward to seeing you whenever we can. But until then, stay in the word. Keep praying and believe God. We love you. Good day.